0: Listening to New Layer, a design podcast with Tanner Christensen and Jasmine Friedel.
1: So, today I want to talk about what we think every product designer needs to know. Needs to know. So, this is uh, what are the skills, what are the experiences. Okay. However, you wanted to find it. I think we'll kind of get into the details as we go. But, really, any designer coming into the industry, whether it's fresh out of school or if they're starting from scratch, or even I think a good thing as we talk about this, the kind of things that we think every product designer needs to know that even experienced designers like you and I mm-hmm. might need to be reminded of once in a while, or it might be good to reflect on those things.
0: Right. So this feels like a little bit like what is product design? Because I think we could break this down into a bunch of things, which are like skills and experiences, which kind of relate to hard skills or soft skills. And I, we've talked a little bit about soft skills before. So maybe we just zero into like, sort of what is the process and what pieces of that come together to form product design.
1: Yeah. And I think some of those soft skills actually may come back up here, but uh, let's see what happens. So the reason that I'm interested in this topic and making this, uh, the, the theme of today's episode is often what I've seen on online forums or on Twitter, or even in real life conversations is many designers are debating what it means to be a product designer and whether or not that's even actually a real role or, Uh, what it means to be like an IX designer or UX designer Mm -hmm. or UX or UI designer, like all these different
0: visual designer. Like what's the difference between all of these? Right. Right. And
1: how I've seen some people approach this kind of this question space, this debate is, well, because these companies have open roles for UX designer and this other company has a UI designer and this other company has a visual designer, there's no such thing as product designer. All these labels are conflated.
0: Right. Or product designer is covered in what a UX designer does. And the honest answer is like there's a lot of overlap between these things Mm -hmm. because there isn't sort of one sort of definition for a designer, a product designer or a UX designer. It's sort of based on, you know, there are some certifications you can get through boot camps that will say this is what a UX designer does. Um, There's some companies that will require X, Y and Z, which is what a product designer does. And there's, there's no sort of like source of truth. And I think this is really interesting just because, um, recently, um, we've been looking at, um, Radford data, which is how a lot of companies look at their compensation bands. And when you look at how sort of the industry defines roles, um, Radford actually does not have product designer on there because it's too new. And I think that's the reality of any sort of like titling or job responsibility is that we're sort of evolving really fast. And so, not everybody's caught up, either individuals or companies that you're being hired into, whether they're, you know, design companies or not, might not have the right information or the latest information or just frankly might have a different definition.
1: Yep, exactly right. Like the industry is just so new and honestly, just it's so immature that it's been hard for anyone to really define what is product design. Right. Uh, A lot of people don't know this, but like the industry really began shaping itself just about, I would say, 11 years ago. Okay. Uh, Obviously, these, these skill sets, this, this role even exists a little bit before then, but with things like the iPhone, which really radically revolutionized how people use technology day to day, the necessity for software and just everything we do in our lives. And now we have this need for people to design really effective, uh, hopefully aesthetically pleasing and, uh, you know, just highly functional interfaces. Right. that solve software. real problems. Yeah, exactly. Well,
0: and I mean, Let's be honest, like there have been web designers and UX designers around since the 80s. So mm-hmm. they've been around for a really long time. I think we're just getting more and more refined in in how we define those roles. So I think that's what we're going to do.
1: Yeah. So you and I have talked a little bit about this before. Uh, hopefully we can add some good perspective to this on this mm-hmm. ongoing debate and discussion. Um, I'll tell you my perspective and then we can go from there. So my perspective uh, is that product designers need to know a myriad of things. But at the top of the funnel, at the top of the experience that, that I would define as a product designer, there are three key things that right. every designer, I think, should have some knowledge, if not experience, in. Those are product strategy, or sometimes interchangeable with product thinking, right? interaction design,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and visual design. right? Now, uh, you and I talked about this offline, but I'll mention it here. The reason that I've actually shaped that perspective is primarily built on my experience working at Facebook, right? where the product designers at Facebook have historically been responsible for each of those three things. Right. Uh, it may not be universally true. I know that some other companies also use the same model. Uh, for example, I know that like Uber does this or they have done this. Airbnb has done this. I think Pinterest, maybe So a lot of big companies are also following this model of product designers need to have experience in product in all thinking, of these visual and interaction.
0: Right. Right. And so that's sort of a question when companies are hiring on, do they want somebody to come in and expect them to do end to end design, which is sometimes what we call, you know, the, the, um, uh, accumulation of these three things, or do we want to hire people in specific roles to complement each other or work together? Um, And so we call those generalists and specialists, right? So someone who does end to end is usually a generalist. They're sort of, you know, good or great at everything, but not specialized in just one thing. Um, Someone who comes in as maybe just a UI designer or a visual designer, they'd be a specialist because they have one area that they're really great in their craft. Um, and those you'll, you may see in a lot of like big tech companies, you also might see those specialists and like more agency environments too, where you'd have one sort of set of proficiency and you'd work with a client to come in and do a certain phase of the process where you might do a strategy phase or just an interaction design phase or just a visual design phase.
1: Exactly. So it really depends on the the company and where the company's at and their needs and what they view as the role of design in in the process of building products. Um, I, I think that just like. Uh, product designers, again, they are generalists. They mm-hmm. have general experience in each of these areas of design. Uh, I, I think that they offer like a lot of value to these companies because they can kind of dive in and out of certain areas and they can mm-hmm. offer a lot. The difference primarily is that like specialists, you know, of course, they're specialists. They are They excel at one area. Maybe it's visual design, for example. They really can know how to nail that stuff. Whereas a generalist or a product designer may be able to do it very effectively and high quality for sure but maybe not quite as much as a specialist.
0: Right. And I would say, um, there's also sort of the T shape designer that's in between, which is like a generalist with one skill, one, like really deep skill. So say, you know, you're pretty good at most things, but really good at visual design that might be considered a T shape. Whereas a specialist, you probably, if they're a visual designer, you probably wouldn't ask them to do the product strategy.
1: Right. And this is exactly why you also see companies who are hiring for multiple roles Mm -hmm. in this space. You know, they're hiring for interaction designers and visual designers and maybe even product designers. It's, usually because they, they have a need for these specialists, but they also have a need for maybe generalists or, uh, a, yeah. a group of people who can s- span the whole spectrum.
0: Right. And you know, if you're looking, if you're sort of new and just starting out and you're looking at different job listings and seeing that once says product designer and once as UX designer, and you don't really know the difference, these are great opportunities to just ask and say like, what would, you know, the, the responsibilities of this person be, who would they be working with? What skills do you expect them to have? Because really the name isn't always going to differentiate as much as you would hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It really comes down to like the roles and the responsibilities and the needs. Right. So if you don't mind, I'd like to first uh, dive into each of these three things that I've identified. Sure. And then we can kind of talk about supplementary skills or other things. If there's anything
0: else. Yes. Yeah.
1: So let's start at the top, uh, the funnel, which is usually the first part of the experience that a product designer is dealing with, which is the product strategy or the product thinking. Right. So uh, how would you define product strategy?
0: Um, I think of when I think of product strategy things, I, I think of mostly like the product pieces. And so that's like, Hey, if we're, if we've got a team of cross-functional people, um, PMs, which are product managers, engineers, designers, data scientists, um, you know, just kind of the, the cross-functional team and your staff to go build something, what are you even building in the first place? Um, and so you'll sort of note that this is sort of inclusive of design, but not exclusive of design. Um, so the questions there within this product strategy piece comes, Hey, what, what's the problem we're trying to solve? How do we know this is a problem? Um, who does this problem most affect? Um, how does this relate to our business goals? How does this relate to users goals? Um, how are we going to know when we've solved that problem, all of that sort of setup stuff that actually tells us whether, what we're going to pursue or, you know, what we're going to pursue or is there anything in the space worth pursuing is the right thing to go after.
1: Right. And the way that I like to think about this is if a designer comes into the room and, you know, maybe it's a, a team that has not really worked with designers before, mm-hmm. they're probably expecting the designer to be aesthetically oriented and help us make Happens this pretty, a lot. help us align things on a page. But when the designer comes into the room and says, um, I, I want to consider the business objective here. How are mm-hmm. we measuring success? What does mm-hmm. that look like? What, what happens if we fail? What do we do? Uh, how are we justifying this work? And how have we, like you said, how are we verifying that this is the correct, the right problem to be solving right now for this team? That adds a lot of value th- to that designer. And suddenly people don't think of them just as a visual person, but they say, this designer is now thinking holistically about designing the product or feature,
0: right? Right, and then you consider the opposite, which is someone who comes in and doesn't ask those questions or just wants to jump to the solution, which you know might be desirable when you're on short timelines and things like that. Um, but to be able to get on board and to get excited about those things and to leverage different perspectives can be a really valuable thing.
1: And sometimes there are already people in the team or in the company who, this is their specialty, right? Right. Typically we know these as uh, product managers or project managers interchangeably. And their responsibility primarily is exactly what we just identified. They spend the time looking at competitor research, they look at the analytics, they they assemble the team and make sure the team has a good vision and a goal and a lot of metrics to align towards, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt to still have a product designer on that team who can align and partner with a product manager and still again, kind of demonstrate Um, a willingness to look at the problem, not just aesthetically or in terms of visuals or platform conventions and interactions, but also like this is a business need and we're all here for a reason. Right.
0: right? And and a good example of that is like, how has this been solved before that often comes up when we're looking at other problems and, and, you know, having a great knowledge of other experiences that have solved this problem before, um, what the competitive market is like. That's something that a designer can, can very well contribute to.
1: Right. I think in like the most ideal world, product designers coming to the stage would have actual product experience. And by that, I mean, they have experience assembling and putting together and analyzing the, a product of their own. Right. And sure. I think we're seeing a lot of examples of this today in modern day with designers who are building their own apps or starting their own little small companies. And like each of those, each of those kind of experiences yields itself to understanding what, what does it take to build a successful product?
0: Right. And I, when I think of somebody who's junior, you know, maybe is coming in for their first role. Um, this isn't necessarily the thing that most people will do really well at first and that's okay. So, you know, when I'm looking to hire an associate designer or a junior designer, I'd, I'd want them to at least have sort of dabbled in this space or tried this. And I'd much rather have them come in, you know, starting with a problem than not starting with a problem, even if it's the wrong problem or even if it's not the biggest problem or the most obvious one or the most impactful one.
1: Because again, it demonstrates that they're thinking about this in the context of the business and the users.
0: Right. And, and they will be able to collaborate on that. And even if, you know, sometimes when you're coming in as a junior designer, there's some sort of scaffolding around you, be it other designers or other cross-functional partners like PMs that can help um, establish those foundations because what product thinking really is, is a foundation to go through other phases of design on and, it's a learning. I mean, that's one of the first things that you'll probably learn. And it depends again, if you come through like some sort of formal education or not. But you know, when you're thinking of even I'm thinking of case studies right now, like when somebody starts to put their case study together and says, Hey, here's the problem I was going after. That's so much more valuable, even if it's off than just saying, Hey, I just chose to improve this because I thought the visual, you know, I I thought the buttons could be, you know a little more lively and i thought you know maybe it needed some micro animations and i thought maybe that color the color palette was too bland like that's the stuff that you know as we go through this process we'll see that those can help solve a problem but really that stuff doesn't matter at all unless you're going after something that's really meaningful
1: yeah and so if you're just starting out and you're joining a new team or something and you don't have a lot of product product experience at minimum what's really valuable is to just ask questions about the product experience. Again, we we already stated these, but I think it's worth repeating. What are the metrics we're looking at? How do we know this is a problem? What kind of data, what kind of analytics do we have to to help us track this? Um,
0: yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's helpful to, you know, for a lot of the things we'll talk about next, you'll have like actual outputs, um, you know, and we'll get into those like wireframes is something that comes up in interaction design here. There's things like problem statements or, um, generative or formative research that might come up or data that you were analyzing. Like, how do you craft that understanding of the problem? There's actually things that you can show to, to demonstrate that you have that. And and again, when we're thinking about somebody getting into a role, I think about like getting a job. So how do you have that conversation around that? And there's tools that you can have, even if they're just like Google docs that articulate this stuff.
1: Totally. So that's, that's product strategy and product thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that kind of skill set. Is on its own what helps define uh, or helps differentiate product designers as the generalist kind of term from interaction designers or UX designers, for example, is that product strategy piece. But the next piece that I would hope all product designers know is the interaction design. Sure. So you, I think you've historically defined this really well. Do you want to define it again for us? What is interaction design?
0: Sure. Um, and I just want a quick caveat that like, you know, UX designers do do a lot of that product thinking. And I think that's why it's confusing is because we might just be naming something different. When we think about interaction designers um, or interaction design, maybe we should think of it more as a skill than a role because the roles are where it gets confusing. Um, I think of interaction design as how people move through things. And so that in the most simple way is like flows. So when I think of, you know, we've established, hey, here's the problem we're going to solve. Here's who it's, who's affected by it. And here's how we're going to know when it's solved by moving this metric or having this business outcome or this user outcome. Then I say, OK, how, how would we actually get someone to move through a product? And that could be things like, you know, how do we understand the ecosystem of things and design a full on app? Or it could be how do we you know, look at a flow, you know, just sort of one sequence of pe- someone moving through screens. Um, it could be as simple as, you know, a page, which somebody goes through a couple of different steps on. But I think of interaction design as, as people moving through um, a flow and how, you know, how that's easy, how useful that is, how that actually those actions that they're going to take go back to solve that problem.
1: Yeah. I think you put that very well. It's you, you've got this problem and then you have this maybe hopefully ideal end state, this success state, what happens between those two things, right? That's interaction right. design. Right. And uh, I just wanna call out that often when I think people think about interaction design and these flows, uh, you know, if, if part of what they're doing is building up um, a, a user flow or user journey or journey map, they'll be like, oh, I'm only designing an email form. Do I need right. to do a journey map? Right. And you still might need to because each element on that UI, each element on that screen, if it's just like one screen, for example, is still part of the interaction flow how's the user going to go from form field to form field? How are they going to know that what they're doing is being validated and successful and right and leading them towards the hopefully happy outcome. Right.
0: Right. And I I mean, maybe some examples are, are, would be good here. So like, I'm thinking of, you know, Hey, what are, what are examples of apps that could solve a problem? And you think of, you know, well, commerce apps. Well, the problem might be, I need a better wardrobe. Like we could define that as a problem and we could help people, get more clothes in their wardrobe. And so then checking out that flow of how to how to put things in your cart, how to, you know, adjust sizes if you put the wrong color or size or something like that. How do you put your credit card information in, and how you check out. There's other apps like um Instagram, for example, where The problem might just be more social connection or inspiration or something like that. And so there's actually no completion state. It's more, how do you spend time? And those are different kinds of flows that both help, you know, solve some sort of a problem. Um, so that those, how you get through those things might be quite different in different circumstances.
1: Yeah. And a good exercise here, I think is if you want to better understand interaction design, you just have to kind of go through all these interactions, right? But you need to do so in the context of evaluating the problem that these things are trying to to remedy right right and i think you just gave two great examples of that but really like a good way to figure out interaction design is to look at what what is normal in each of these platforms that you're designing for and look at the different various problems maybe try to find similar apps or similar experiences to what you're trying to design and just don't look at the visuals, but look at how the the experience takes you from one state to another. What does that look like and how does it flow?
0: Right. And I think something helpful to do, just backing up a little bit in, I'm thinking of um, my friend and former colleague, Paul Derby, and I taught an interaction design class and we went through a lot of like different exercises that you do to get to the state, which you just talked about. And one is you have to sort of like first go through, Hey, you know, who are these people, which could be some sort of like persona exercise, um, personas are really overdone and often not useful. So kind of putting a little asterisk on that. But then there's sort of like, how would this person interact with this product in their daily life? Um And so there's sometimes things that might be outside of the scope of what the app can do. Like if I'm actually designing a budgeting experience to help people, you know, be better with their money, there's actually a lot of transactions that might happen outside of the app that you have to record or something like that. So how do you look at how a person walks through this and create user journeys and identify where technology can come in and solve the problem? And see here, we're linking the product thinking back to the interaction design. Um, things like, um, storyboarding was something you mentioned earlier, which is, you know, Hey, how do we also, it's a different way to document that inside of life and outside of life experience. Wireframes are another thing that come up. Um, so there's site maps, information, architecture, anything that gets into the systems of things. And then there's this, this other layer that you've talked about too, which is how do you bring on these like patterns that you see elsewhere, these interaction patterns of how people have solved this before. And I think for like like the Instagram example, that's a great one because, you know, how many experiences can you think of that have feeds that are all about just engagement and spending time? And so having that sort of repeated thing is really important.
1: I really like how you called attention to things outside of what the designers uh, or what the team, the product team uh, is capable of like controlling or manipulating. So I think interaction design is like a prime place to start considering things like accessibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example that often would come up in my experience while designing, uh, whether I was at Atl- Atlassian or at Facebook, was you know a lot of people using their mobile phones on these experience have broken phones mm-hmm. or really old phones. Mm-hmm. So now as a, an interaction designer, I need to consider that the user may not be able to swipe all the time. They may also need a tap affordance for certain things, right? right? And so there's a lot of considerations that you can start thinking about if you, the more experienced you get in interaction design.
0: I just thought of an example that I used today that ties a bunch of these things in together. So, you know, I was like, Hey, I want to do some food prep for this week. And that's a problem we have to solve. So there's product thinking in that, you know, if somebody were to form a company around helping people make recipes, there's an identified problem and you could do a lot of like stuff there to figure out what that problem is. And then, you know, I order through Instacart which is helping, you know, basically consummate the purchase. I have to select things, put them in a cart, check out. They get delivered to my door. That's part of the interaction design because we're looking at user flows, like how that comes to my house. And then I did something, um, that I don't normally do, but I used Alexa for a recipe. And when you're thinking of an accessibility, there's, you know, all the, there's different impairments that we need to understand for, but there's also scenario based things, which are like, you know, Alexa's voice controlled and the type needs to be a lot bigger based on, you know, me reading the recipe while I have bacon grease all over my hands. And so there's a lot of little nuances that come up. And I think really thinking about that in interaction design is a step that, really needs to be considered. A lot of times we'll see people look at screens, which are like, first you do this and then you do this and then you do this and then you're done. And that's great. And that's usually what we call the happy, the path. happy path. Yeah. The happy path. It's like, okay, if everything worked out perfectly, that's great. But you forget to think about all the things that could go wrong. Like what if someone has bacon grease on her hands or, you know, what if somebody has a cracked screen or what if somebody is vision impaired or what if your credit card doesn't go through, like, how do you handle error states? And so while interaction design might seem pretty straightforward to a to, from A to B, it's really it's really a systems experience exercise.
1: And to be clear, if you're just starting out in product design, you don't need to have solutions or answers to all of these things. But just the fact that you're documenting them and ma- making explicit trade-offs and saying, you know, we don't care about cracked screens for this instance. Maybe we'll come to it in the future as just one example. That's okay. It, it's just that intentionality of the design uh, work that I think matters the most here.
0: Right. And the consideration. And and even again, like if we're saying as if when you're just starting out, you don't, you don't have to be really like super experienced in all these things, but know that these are things that are going to, you're going to come across and you're going to be responsible for. Um, it's really important.
1: And it- consider this too like if you're a designer and you just walk into the room with designs people are gonna be like okay great whatever but if you walk into the room and say again with the product strategy i've considered the objective here for this screen and then the metrics we're looking at and then you say from the interaction design side here are all the things that might happen during this flow here's what i think is optimal for us Mm -hmm. that i know we can build our our quote unquote happy path but i have considered all these things it's uh, they are things that we might want to consider your team is going to look at you and think like this person is adding so much value already just in the, what they're thinking, right? right? Not even their, their their deliverables.
0: I'd much rather, I, uh, I love it in an interview when somebody comes in and they say, here's what could go wrong. We didn't address this here, but we'll address it later. Just to even say, hey, we thought about it. Like it shows that sort of broadness of thinking that, you can expand upon over time.
1: Right. So this brings us finally to what I would call like the kind of last, well, it's not really the last stage, but uh, the last pillar of product design, which is visual design. Sure. So you've thought through the problem. You've got the product strategy. You've thought through the interaction flow, how the user will go from a problem state to a successful solved state. Now you need to design the thing. Right. With aesthetics and visuals. And so when we talk about visual design, what this really encompasses is everything under the, the, what you see, uh, kind of label. So this is um, the colors, the hierarchy of information, your typography, the contrast, uh, as well as interaction patterns, I think here. Right. Uh, so this well, is
0: interaction patterns is kind of one of those that crosses over. It's like, When people think about animations, those are micro interactions. So those usually tend to fit into the visual design piece, but some, you know, you do have to use a UI to be able to get to your interaction. So there's a lot of sort of crossover there.
1: Yeah. And it it can get a little fuzzy. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure there's a very clear delineation between the two. Uh, I'm sure if we wanted to invest time in talking about it, we could, Mm -hmm. Uh, but for now, for the purpose of this we'll just kind of use this a little interchangeably. Maybe I'll focus on micro interactions for things like sure. what, how do you demonstrate when you tap on a button that that button is being utilized? Right. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. like a higher level interaction visual might be which way does the screen need to navigate in order to communicate to the user that you're moving forward or backward. Sure. Right. Sure. So visual design, I think is, uh, one that obviously design as an industry is primarily known for. Even if you look back at the days of like industrial design, it's how does the thing look? right?
0: Well, I mean, if you think of like graphic, graphic design existed way before any sort of interaction design did because the internet didn't exist then. And so we have a lot of folks who came from print or, you know, have a, a strong UI background because that's, there's just a lot of proficiency in that area.
1: And so I, I think a lot of designers focus most of their time on this area, maybe not most, but many designers do. Uh, and I think for a lot of reasons, one is that it is the part of the designed experience or product that most everyone on your team will have a, uh, an opinion on because it's what they can see and it's what they can interact with. And it's like, it's the thing that impacts everything else, right? Well,
0: and most of your users will have an opinion on it too. Think of like, oh, you know, poor Snapchat cha- changing their logo again and Twitter. <laughs> changing their, their UI. It's like, everybody's got an opinion on that because it's visible.
1: Exactly. Whereas like the product strategy, that first part of the stage, not everyone's going to really have any insight or perspective on that necessarily. Right. Right. Whereas the visuals everyone does. So I think that's, that's one reason why designers like to sometimes over-invest in the visuals. Surprisingly, in my experience and what I've observed, visuals are also often what many designers tend to do the worst. Strong statement. Well, there's a few reasons for this. So I'll give you an example. Uh, what, what what we often see is designers will they'll identify the problem, maybe they'll think through some interactions, and then when they get to the visual stage, they'll say, "Well, I don't really know what to do, so I'm going to go on Dribble or Behance or Pinterest or maybe even Twitter and just see what other people are doing. And then they'll do that and they'll find something that they really like. Oh, this is this solves my problem. This is really neat. I'm going to go try this. They'll they'll add it. They'll share it with their team. The team will build the thing, and then they'll very quickly realize this. Doesn't actually meet our need at all, or the most glaring example: what they design breaks platform convention, which is a big no-no.
0: Right, but I think there's, there's, you know, should you steal as a visual designer? There's a strong yes and a strong no. Like one is the pattern space, and you know the patterns being those repeated things, um, you know. A great example of something we've talked about before where, you know, hey, should when you do a, a modal or, you know, that little dialog box that pops up that gives you, you know, hey, do you want to continue or not? And the answers are, you know, cancel or continue, what order those buttons go in. And so there's platform conventions that say you should always do what everybody else is doing because muscle memory is a thing and people will always sort of click to the bottom right. And so make sure your clear call to action is in the bottom right. Now, if you're going to dribble and just copying, Um, that, that tends to be more of a strong, no, in my perspective. And I know you have feels on this too, but the reason is because that might not be following, it might actually not be solving your specific problem. And so I think the question is, what are you going after in those circumstances? Is it the style or is it the usability piece? And UI actually contributes to both.
1: Yeah, totally. Really though, what what I think makes a really strong visual designer is someone who like kind of like you identified who can look at the platform conventions, whether it's the placement of the buttons or how a uh, dialogue appears, uh, where the dismissal button is or like a, a close button, even, even so far as like the interaction patterns of convention, like wh- again, which way does the screen animate to demonstrate whether the user is moving forward in a flow or backwards? Mm-hmm. Like those are all things that I think a really strong visual designer takes into consideration at the same time. They're, they're, capable of incorporating like the brand assets or the brand style to mm-hmm. those conventions. Right. Usually you see these in very straightforward ways, things like color, things like the softness of a, of a corner radius. right?
0: Anything that would go into a style sheet or a design system.
1: Exactly. And so, uh, again, I think I often see designers make a lot of mistakes in this area because they they conflate what they see elsewhere on the internet with like good practice, even though it may not meet their brand needs. It might not meet their problem strat, their, their product strategy. It might not actually work really well, but it looks really pleasing. Right.
0: And, and sometimes you'll find too, even if you don't have a strong brand, the key is consistency. And so especially if you're a designer working on a small part of a big product, even if you're looking at dribble and being like, wow, this is so much higher quality and quality is something that, you know, can be subjectively defined, can be objectively defined. Probably won't get into that now. Um, but if you think that you're improving something, unless you improve that consistently across all of the products, for examples, if you want to make buttons bigger and bolder and a brighter color, you would need to do that across the experience so that users have the same visual language to know that, Oh, I click on this one. This one is of equal importance to all of the buttons rather than oh this one on this page is is just super special so I must click that.
1: One of my favorite examples of this, just my personal favorite examples of this. Uh when I was interviewing at a few companies, part of the interview process is they will have you critique another person's app or another mm-hmm. product. And one that I was really I always, I, I, don't, I don't know, I really enjoyed reviewing was the, uh, DoorDash app. Okay. So DoorDash for those who don't know is an app where you can, uh, order food from local restaurants and food delivery places and it's brought to your door. Right. And I remember every time I've looked at that app, I was like, this is a really beautiful app. It's really well done. Mm-hmm. You can hate on the business. You can uh, not like the product itself, whatever. But the experience of using that app was so solid. I thought, and I haven't used it in a while, so I don't know if this has changed, but when we think about visual design, I always think about the DoorDash app because when I open it very clearly, very quickly, you get a sense for what is this product for? Where there's large images of food, there's restaurant names, there's destination names and dollar signs. Cuisine types. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then further than that, it's like, well, okay, what can I do in this screen? And something that they did really well that I really thought was just superb was anything that they wanted you to take action on was red. Everything else was black or gray. And so you could very quickly get the information you need. What's this restaurant called? How far away is it? How much is it going to cost me? But when you're ready to order or when you're ready to click in for more information, there's a big red button right there for you. Mm-hmm. Or when you want to like navigate through the experience, it's it's bright and vibrant. And it stands out. And right. I thought that was a really great thing that that app did in terms of visual polish, where when you talk about this platform-wide consistency, or, or sorry, not platform-wide, but product-wide consistency, they did an excellent job of this. No matter where you were in the experience, you knew exactly what you could do next based on color alone.
0: Right. And I mean, that's also just good hierarchy, which is just a principle of good, you know, visual design. And there are m- a few others, which I can't remember because my art school brain has gone numb. Um, but there's, there are visual principles that help things look better. Hierarchy, space, direction, um, that help, you know, you just, you generally take in information that's really valuable. And that's one of those things that great visual designers, are good at, and they do so between, or they do so through a lot of the stylistic things that we talk about when we talk about visual design, which is type, color, grid, hierarchy, um,
1: typography, contrast, contrast,
0: color. I said that. Uh, But all of those things that come together and, and really are the elements of good design that sort of build up into components and components are things that have multiple elements arranged in a certain way that build up into pages. And then those pages are templatized and build up into experiences, which end up being the interaction design. And so when you think of how these all connect back, it's like all of the decisions you make, even at the visual design level should be working through back through those systems and those systems um, of interaction design should be working back to solve the problem. So everything's really connected. And I think that's something that sometimes the folks who come in from visual, a visual design background have a harder time because they're so good at that, but have a harder time saying, you know, I'm building the system, not just based on sort of brand things, which are, you know, hey, what what's the voice? What's the voice and tone of this product or this company? And how are we trying to convey a feeling? It's really, there's really also a layered element of usability that has to tie back to interaction design, which ties back to your, the problem that you're solving through product thinking.
1: Yeah, well said. It It's worth noting just again and again and again, and hopefully we can bring it up a few more times before this episode's up, but this really is almost like, I like to view it as a linear flow. Mm-hmm. So when I say these are the three top things that I expect all product designers to have some knowledge and experience in, I mean that quite literally for every project they go through, they think about the product strategy. They think about the interaction design and they think about the visual design in that order. Right. H- preferably not always because obviously right. it's not always needed and there's all other people to fill the role, uh, the need and things. But those are the three things that I think at a high level every product designer needs to go through step by step and then like you mentioned bringing back to each other.
0: Right. Well and and you do you do come back to things. Like you might come up with a great uh, a bunch of interaction design um directions and then put them out for user testing and realize that this isn't actually solving the problem and so you might need to go back and, and redo some directions or you might realize that the problem we thought we were solving in the first place, isn't the problem to be solving. And then you might need to go back to the product thinking piece. And then there's another way to look at this is like, you know, if you're, and I, I keep using the budgeting app as an example, cause that was my thesis project. Um, but if you're thinking about like, Hey, how do I help people like manage their money better? That's sort of an app level problem. You could look at a feature level problem too, which might be, Oh, actually how do I just, track one, you know, strain of my spending and that might be something that you'd find a problem within the problem to look at and then come back to that over the time. And so the scope of what you're working on might change. So for example, if you're a junior designer starting off at a big company, you might not be working on that big, you know, all-in problem. You might be if you're at a startup you might just be working on one strain or one thread of a problem. And so you can still use this sequence to go, Hey, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? Even if it's like, you know, Hey, help somebody get through this, um, credit card experience when they have a a debit card or or, or an EBT or something like that.
1: I have found that it's, yeah, I found that it's really helpful to to scale up and scale down these three things. Mm -hmm. So often in my own work, I will just take time to reflect, okay, what is the product problem that our company is trying to solve? Yep. And then I'll, I'll go through different steps and I'll zoom all the way down to like, what is the problem that this button is trying to solve? Right. And like, each of those levels should add up to the same thing in some right. way, right? Right,
0: because every every small problem should be in support, even if it's just like solving technical debt so that users can have a better experience to solve the bigger problem. But everything you're doing should be in service of whatever, and really this is mission and vision, like whatever your company is going after. And hopefully that's the thing that. You you're inspired by and excited about. And then that really helps things like the button matter. Yeah, that's right.
1: So go ahead.
0: I was going to ask, there's some things that we've sort of like very surface level talked about. um, And I've brought up research a couple of times, but I I think there's a question and this is another sort of hot topic on Twitter. What are the other things that, you know, this is from our perspective and from our experience. These are sort of what end to end product designer is. What are the things that might come up in other companies that are also included within product design?
1: Mm. Yeah, it really is going to depend, of course, on the company how new it is, what other roles they have filled and what their needs are, you know, where they what the timeline is for that company and the projects they're looking at and things. Uh, you mentioned research. Let's mm-hmm. touch on that for again for a second, right. because I think this one comes up time and time again. Um, should designers know how to research, do conduct research or at, at bare minimum should designers have some capacity to interpret research findings and right. data? Right? right.
0: And I think, you know, research is user research, not research. Research is old as time. Um, user research is somewhat of a newer profession. Um, and you see the the need for that growing and the value for that being more recognized. But there are times where you won't have a user researcher. And so is it useful for you to be able to conduct research? Yeah, definitely. And there's things that are as sort of simple as concept testing and how to write a script and ask open-ended questions and get feedback on your different directions that you're showing to be able to move forward. Great. There's also sort of, I mentioned generative, informative research earlier, which is sort of around identifying that problem. And there's all sorts of different kinds of research, like, you know, ethnography, like how you're going and observing, um, someone in, in the wild to understand the problem. Um, and there's all different types of research. And so that is a profession. And so hopefully we have people who can, you know, go in and know which methodology to use for what sort of problem that you're solving or for what sort of like problem that you're tackling, that doesn't mean that every company or every team will have one of those. And so, yeah, that's a useful add on.
1: Completely agree. And I think that as a product designer, if you're trying to cover that gamut of designing the product, it's only it's only in your and the company's best interest if you are participating in that. Mm-hmm. So even if you do yeah, have researchers
0: once, yeah, if somebody's conducting and you want to actually like sit down in the sessions and know how to synthesize it rather than being like, Ooh, I heard this one thing that I like and so I'm going to take this back and fight for it. Yeah. yeah.
1: I like how you put that really well though. And you know, I'm even in this, or I've been in this situation recently where our team didn't have a designated researcher. And so it was up to the design team and the engineering team to conduct research. And I think a lot of designers shy away from this because it is very, uh, I don't know, it, uncomfortable. It, it's definitely uncomfortable. Yeah. You're sitting down with real people trying to like have a conversation about the work, trying not to get offended or not to guide them. Not to, to get defensive
0: when you're like, wait, you should know how to do this because <laughs> I designed it and it works when I do it. Yeah.
1: And yet it's, it's, yeah. So I think it is worthwhile for designers to invest a little bit here in this area as well. if they want to really, uh, be the best product designer they can be with that said, and I think with actually a lot of these things, I don't think you need to be an expert. You don't Mm -hmm. need to go take an online course in design research. You don't need to, um, you know, buy all the textbooks. If you have the capacity and interest in doing those things, please do. But I don't think you need to like double down on becoming a researcher. You just need to have just enough information to make sure that you're getting, um, helpful insights, when you're having conversations or when you're tr- trying to conduct like lab studies, when you're out on the street just talking to people about your work, right?
0: Yeah, and I would add like another one that comes up is like the should designers code question like do designers, do product designers need to be, you know, part developer and this, I, I usually have the same answer, which is like, unless your company requires it, no, probably not. And this is from my experience because I, you know, know some basic HTML and some CSS and that's about it. But then it's like, hey, but do you know enough to be able to communicate with your developers and to translate what you've designed into what will be built? And that seems really valuable. Um, another one that comes up is content design, content strategy, UX writing. And there's sort of like differences between what content strategy and UX writing is. Um, But should you be able to write the final strings? And that's sometimes yes, if no one else is doing it and what you're going to type goes live and sometimes no, if you've got other folks who are in charge of that. But those are all like, these all feel like for the the three things that we've been talking about, the product thinking, the interaction design, the visual design, these are all really great add-ons that might be valuable in different circumstances. And at bare minimum, if you have people in those roles, they make you better partners.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, there's so much here that I think we we'll, we actually will dive into in future podcasts. Uh, but my perspective is that very much like yours for when it comes to programming, it's so additive to the experience that I would urge designers to try to invest in learning at least a little bit. And it's so easy to learn now with online tutorials and things, but you're talking about code about programming. Oh God. It's easy for you. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, I've been doing it for a very long time. But there are lots of resources that can just give you a taste of it. And that's, I think, the key thing. We're not asking product designers to code the thing. In fact, I my personal belief is that designers should not get into the code. Like, you should be so busy with the other things that you should not be touching the engineer's work, right? Uh, but it depends.
0: I think, yeah, I think there's scenarios where you could say yes or no, depending on resources in the team and
1: all that good stuff. But at bare minimum, designers should have some some concept of what it means to program and what your engineers, if you're building digital experiences, are working with where you can have a conversation about it.
0: Yes, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. I think it's really hard. And I've been through this because I came in as a graphic designer, you know, kind of figured out visual design and UX design and the concept and understanding how a language works. um, That's sort of like, even if you can't Um, I'm thinking of just like in, in life, like you can't always speak a language, but I can actually understand what people are saying to me and I can like kind of communicate back and forth. Like that's, that's the bare minimum of what you need because it is your medium and that feels really important.
1: Yeah. And I don't know, kind of like everything else that we've talked about here, uh, these three additional things. So that's research, user research, programming and, uh, content strategy or writing, whatever you want to kind of debate those, uh, those three really lend themselves to the previous three. So when we talk about product strategy, if you know a little bit about research, that's going to really help your product strategy. When we talk about interaction design, if you know a little bit about programming, that's really going to help you identify the core parts of the interaction experience.
0: Right. And especially here, like if, if you, you know, whether or not you understand, um, you know, what, what stack you're, whatever is built on, I don't know. And you know, what language is being written that it, it, it doesn't matter so much. What matters is like, that's a great place to understand constraints, what you can and can't do and why. Exactly.
1: And it really helps you understand uh, your engineers and what their objectives are and how they work. If they're working with a really large technology stack with many, many different languages and a lot of like code review necess- necessities, it's going to help you be able better prioritize. Well, should I give them quick Comps now, or should I try to develop the whole vision?
0: Right. And I, you know, at the very beginning, when we were talking about product thinking, we were saying, you know, hey, there's sometimes like product managers or, you know, other folks who, business owners or whatever, who are getting involved in sort of the what should we build and why. And it's an age old story where designers are like, they just want to be involved early, they just want to be involved in that sort of like formative stage engineers also want to be involved in your interaction stages too, because they're going to be the folks who are building it. Like you think design is sort of the end game where the the visual design is the end. It's actually not how it's built, how that visual design and this interaction design is built that's actually what goes out to your customers and your users. So, you know, that collaboration was pretty evident at the beginning in product thinking, but there's actually a lot of collaboration with cross-functional partners in the interaction design and engineers who are your coders and your researchers who are often your concept testers are folks there too, as are your content designers who are really thinking through the systems of, you know, how we communicate with people too. And that's things like, you know, how, We talk about this a lot at intercom, but you know how we have our system, which is a model. It's like how things work together. And then our conceptual model is how we talk about that. And a mental model is how people understand that. So all of these disciplines are really working together collaboratively to get that end product built.
1: Kind of like working as a team, you might say. Working
0: as a team interesting so
1: we've covered a whole lot here Um, we've actually just touched the surface of each of these things but hopefully that gives people listening a better sense of how we think about product design baseline
0: understanding yep
1: so product design is really essentially each of these things with the last three things kind of being tacked on hopefully in a good way Uh, product strategy interaction design visual design with a little touch and taste of uh, user research maybe some programming Maybe some UX design or content strategy. That is the whole package that makes a product designer a product designer. It's a lot. Oof. Look at us go. Look at us go. All right, until next time.
0: Okay.